0: Amen. Lord, without you, there would be no reason to live, no reason to to walk and, and to, to just really have a, a passion in our lives apart from you is meaningless. Lord, I pray that as we go to your word right now, that you would be our teacher. Just prepare every heart that's here. We thank you that nobody's here by chance, that Father, before the foundation of the world you foreordained, we'd all be here tonight. We thank you that you're here in our midst. We ask that man would decrease, that your spirit would increase, that you would be glorified. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Welcome again to Calvary Santa Cruz. If you don't have a Bible, raise your hand. We'll be happy to loan you one. Um, and if you like that one better than the one you've got at home or you don't have one at home, please feel free to take that as our gift to you guys. If you have your Bibles, turn to Numbers 21. We'll continue our verse by verse study through the Old Testament. Um, I want to encourage the guys this Saturday, you will absolutely. Blessed. Uh, pray about going. Uh, don't pray, just go. Word up, right? I mean, you don't have to pray about when I should go and hear the Word of God taught. I'm thinking that's probably a good thing. Amen. God's not going to say no to that. But I want to encourage you to go. There'll be a couple thousand guys there, and, and Pastor Chuck's going to be there, and Greg Laurie, and Bill Holdridge, and Damien. Some really great Bible teachers, and just be a great, great time. So whether you meet us at 8 o'clock in Scotts Valley at the Safeway, or just if you head over there, It starts at 9.30, but you need to kind of get there early if you want to get a seat in the auditorium anywhere. So uh, I just want to encourage you to come for that. So, Numbers 21. And I first want to say, hey, if you're here tonight for the first time, we're really glad you're here. We hope you feel welcome. Here at Calvary Chapel, we just teach verse by verse right through the Bible. On Sunday mornings, we're going verse by verse through the New Testament. We started in Matthew chapter 1. We're in Romans chapter 5 for Sunday, so that's your homework assignment, okay? I want to encourage you to go home and read Romans chapter 5. You'll be blessed on Sunday if you've read it, spent time in it, let the Lord minister to you from it. And then we're going verse by verse through the Old Testament, and we come to Numbers 21. Now, I titled the message tonight, and I'm going to catch up a little bit, but I titled the message tonight, Victorious Christian Living. And it's interesting that on Sunday we talked about understanding God's grace, something that people really struggle with. You know, they, they struggle with holiness and pursuing holiness and understanding that God is a gracious and a merciful God. Understanding that it's not do, 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 but it's done. It's not, a, it's not behaving that saves us, it's believing. Now our believing in Christ will change our behavior. Well, I want to talk to you about victorious Christian living tonight in a, in a real uh, you know, application kind of way. And what we're going to look at is we're going to look at after 39 years of marching through the wilderness, these guys are finally, the children of Israel, are finally getting ready to go into the promised land. Now if, if it's your first time here, just to catch you up, in Genesis we saw the fall of man, in Exodus we saw them being delivered out of 400 years of bondage, the children of Israel, in Leviticus they were given the sacrificial system, which is a clear picture of Jesus Christ, His death on the cross, we get to Numbers and they start marching toward the land of promise, but because of their rebellion, an 11 day march, an 11 day trip turned into a 40 year death march. Remember, because they fell into rebellion, and because of the rebellion, they were going to be kept out of the land of promise. And so tonight, we're coming to the point where, after chapters 14 through 20, there's been 40 years of just total unfruitfulness. They've been wandering through the wilderness. What's their favorite hobby? What do they love to do more than anything? Whine and complain. That's it, right? Three million whiners. How could that be, right? I said, man, that Moses guy, God bless him, right? And it's amazing how he just you know, was so faithful to them, and we know that he eventually did blow it. But we see the rebellion resulted in God's judgment. And if you remember, just briefly, in chapter 16, Korah, Dathan, and Abiram, and 250 men of renown, basically came up to Moses and said, who do you think you are? We're just as holy as you, and we're just as called as you, and how did that work out? What happened to Korah, Dathan, and Abiram is the ground opened up and swallowed them and their families, and then shut back up on them. I think God made his point, right? And then fire came down from the sky and smoked the other 250 guys because God is the one that raises up and sets people down. And we don't have to strive and we don't have to try to tear people down and we don't have to puff up our own resume to look good before men. We just need to trust in God. And they were trying to do things in their flesh. And when we try to do things in our flesh, it's fruitless. We saw them that Moses fell on his face and, and again interceded on their behalf. We saw Aaron's rod budding in chapter 17, just showing again God's calling on on Aaron as the high priest. And then we got to chapter 19. Remember the story of the red heifer. I encourage you to get that tape. By the way, tapes here at Calvary Chapel are free. We'll always be free. We will never charge for the Word of God. How can the gospel be free and we charge for it? I don't get it. it blows people away when they call from the radio program and the tapes are free, but we're never going to charge for them. I don't care. So help yourself, give them away. That's what they're there for. But I want to encourage you. Numbers 19, what a great picture of Jesus. The story of the red heifer. I don't have time to go into it, but it would be a real blessing to you to take a look at that as it's such a clear picture of Jesus on the cross. We got to chapter 20. And in chapter 20, two weeks ago, before we looked at the, the highlights from our Israel trip, remember that Moses was banished from going into the land of promise. What did he do that kept him from going in? What did he do? Remember, he smote the rock. Remember, earlier... The Lord had told him to strike the rock once, and water would come from it. And from then on, he was only to speak to the rock. And remember that the people began to murmur again. And, and again, I said, I understand kind of Moses' position, because if I had three million whiners up, they i got have made it as long as he did. But he finally just had enough of them. And he said, you know what? You guys just make, you know, and he turned around, and he's supposed to speak to the rock, and he hit the rock twice. And remember that the Lord said, because you've misrepresented me to these people because you responded to them in anger when I'm not angry with them. And because you smote the rock, which is a picture of Jesus, when he should have just spoken to it, you're not going to enter into the land of promise. And so Moses had brought them out of bondage and did all these wonderful things, but it tells us that we need not to misrepresent God to others. When we misrepresent God to others, if we come across as angry and self-righteous and we're misrepresenting God, it breaks God's heart. Our God is a God of love and grace and mercy. Amen? And while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't come for the righteous, but he came for the unrighteous, and praise God for that, because all of us in this room are unrighteous. Amen? There are no righteous, no, not one. And so that brings us to chapter 21. And I'll tell you, this is an awesome chapter, because what we see here is we're going to see some real clear pictures of how we can live a victorious Christian life, and we're going to see how, in these last days, as they are getting ready to head into the land of promise, that there's going to be brought before them and how they respond to them will be great lessons for us to teach us how we ought to respond. So what we're going to see first is we're going to see that in our own walk with God and in their walk with God as they're, they're headed through the wilderness, they first face an old enemy. And we're going to see that trials and struggles are sources of spiritual growth. You know what? You cannot grow by running away from trials. If you run away from a trial, you're just going to face it down the road later. Some of the advice Pastor Don gave me when I came to Santa Cruz, he said, he said, Dave, being a senior pastor, you're going to have some people in your church that aren't always easy to deal with. And I haven't met those people yet, but I'm kidding. Now, I love you guys. You guys rock, okay? But the reality is that sometimes you're going to have people that are kind of hard to deal with, and the easiest thing to do would just be to get rid of them. He said, but the reality is if you don't deal with them, there's going to be two more just like them next week, you know? And you need to learn how to love people and how to deal, and the same is true with us. We go through trials and difficulty, and if you just avoid it, God's got a lesson there for us. James chapter 1 says, count it all joy, my brethren, when you fall into various trials. Not if, when. Amen? And so we're going to see tonight that trials are good, because it's through trials that we grow, and it's trials that are going to grow the children of Israel. We're going to see the picture of the bronze serpent, and just like every chapter in the Bible so far that we've seen in the Old Testament, guess who that's going to be a picture of? I'll give you one guess. That'd be Jesus, amen. All right, you guys are awake, that's good. It's warm outside, just making sure. Then we're gonna see them rejoicing at God's goodness. We're gonna see a picture of our Christian walk just by the cities that they go through. We'll get to that. And then lastly, we're gonna see how we walk in victory over bitterness, over rebellion, and over fear. Things that we all struggle with to varying degrees, but God, again, has not given us a spirit of fear. He's a great and an awesome God. Now, we can struggle in our flesh with those things, but tonight, hopefully, we'll see... Some real clear application. Let's begin in verse 1. The first thing we're going to see is facing an old enemy. Look at verse 1. And it says, The king of Arad, the Canaanite, who dwelt in the south, heard that Israel was coming on the road to Ephireim. Then he fought against Israel and took some of them prisoners. Now remember that last week, at the end of the chapter, he went to, to the Edomites and said he wanted to go through their land, and they said no, and what did he do? Moses took the couple of million people and went around instead of going through Edom. Now he's coming along, and the, the Canaanites look down and see them in their land, and they go out to attack them. Now, remember that 40 years ago, why didn't they go into the land? What, what, remember, they were supposed to go in. He said, this is the land of promise. It belongs to you guys. Go get it. And then they said, no, we can't because there's what in the land? Giants in the land. And some of those giants were these very same Canaanites. So 40 years of wandering in the wilderness, having this death march, Everybody over the age of 20, you know, just dropping, I was figuring it out that they'd have to average between 100 to 120 people every single day for 40 years dropping dead to get rid of all the people over the age of 20. So, I mean, it was just truly a death march. And remember, they were defiled if they touched a dead body. So, I mean, they were like walking, you know, like this all the time, you know. You know, dude, you know, you're looking sick, right? You know, because they knew everybody was going to die. And so this death march ends, you got the new generation, they're right back in the same spot. Because it wasn't dealt with 40 years earlier, same enemy, same struggle, same problem. Now, hopefully, this new generation is going to respond in a different way. But but you know what? Our kids are watching us, and they, you know, and hopefully, we teach them what to do, not show them what not to. There were giants in the land: the Amalekites, the Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites, and the Canaanites. And remember, they said we're like grasshoppers; they're going to squash us like bugs. We can't go. And they rejected God's word. And when we reject God's word and we disobey, it is because of a lack of faith. We don't trust God. Now, we all struggle with that on occasions, okay? But the reality is that God is faithful and He's sovereign. We need to learn to trust Him, okay? So we see here that upon hearing these actions would result, they made this this futile attempt earlier to fight against the giants and they got smoked. Now, this time, the giants come down and are attacking them. The Canaanites come down and are attacking them. And again, no change, same enemy, same problem, they should have faced it 40 years earlier. Verse 2, so Israel made a vow to the Lord and said, if indeed you will deliver the people into my hand, then I will utterly destroy their cities. Now does this sound different? Have they changed their attitude? Yeah, what did they say before? The Lord said, go, and they said, no. This time they're coming to the Lord saying, Lord, if you'll let us, we'll go get these guys right now. Lord, if you'll deliver them into our hands, we don't even want the spoils. We don't want any of the stuff. We'll give it all to you, Lord. If you want us to go take care of them, we'll go take care of them. Lord, we trust you. They've changed their heart. And you know what? Guys, if we don't go through the trial now, we're just going to wander around for years and miss out on what God has for us, and we're going to have to go through it later. Because God wants to teach us something because he loves us. If my kids don't learn when I discipline them, guess what? They're going to get disciplined again, right? If they repeat the same behavior, you know, I told them, you know, you know your rear end's going to wear out a lot quicker than my hand. That's just reality, right? I mean, you know, we got the board of education at the Johnston house. I'm not afraid to spank my kids. You know, the Bible says that it's not going to kill them. God gave them a nice big fat spot right here for that reason, right? They're not going to die. The Bible says that, 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 you know, the rod will drive disobedience far from them. You always do it in love. But if they repeat the same behavior, they're going to keep getting the swats until they learn this is not good for me. If they don't understand it's not good for them, they understand my rear end will be hurting if I keep doing this, right? We go through trials and difficulty of life. God wants to teach us something. Instead of running away and trying to jump out of the fire as quick as we can, we got to say, Lord, what do you want to teach me? Lord, is this going to make me more like you? Lord, is it going to help me to get my eyes off of me? Lord, are you going to teach? Lord, what is it? Show me. And you know what? God will answer that prayer Every single time. The word there for utterly destroy means to devote something completely to the Lord. This is a sign of spiritual growth. Previously they thought about themselves. What's in it for me? Now they, didn't, they weren't worried about themselves at all. They wanted to rescue the guys that had been captured. They were interceding on behalf of others. They had no selfish motive and they were willing to destroy the place. Boy, that's an awesome place to be. Look at verse 3. So Israel, or excuse me, verse 3, and the Lord listened to the voice of Israel and delivered up the Canaanites, and they were utterly destroyed, and utterly destroyed them and their cities. So the name of the place was called Hormah. Now this is what's awesome, you guys. If you go back and look in chapter 13 and 14, the first time they they were supposed to go into the land, remember when the word came down that now they weren't going to get to go into the land and they decided to fight the enemy now? They go, oh, now we don't get to go on the land, now we're going to go fight him in our flesh. You know, we didn't want to do it when God wanted us to do it, but now we're going to go do it ourselves. Well, it says in chapter 14 that they were, they were, they were defeated, and they were chased back to a city called Hormah. And here we are in chapter 21, and they go up and defeat the enemy, and where, do they, where does it say that they are? Where does it say they The very same spot. Nothing happens by chance in the kingdom of God. The word there, Horma means destruction. The same name of the city the Canaanites had driven the children of Israel to when they refused to enter into the promised land. Now God takes that as a place of destroying the enemy. You know what? Every trial will either be, be something where you fall away from God or God uses it that you might be drawn closer to Him. When trials come, you guys, turn to the Lord. Say, thank you, Lord. Hard to do that. The Bible says, in everything give thanks for this is the will of God. So when you get a flyer, you know, get a flat tire, you get on the freeway and start, you know, going, oh, yeah, I got a flat tire. No, right? You know, we, Pastor Dave, come on. People want to think you're outside of your mind. But you know, here's the reality. God wants us in everything to give thanks to realize that God is sovereign. Does God know every detail of your life? Does he know that, that you're going to lose your job? Does he know, you're going, you know that you really have a desire to be married or you're looking, you want to have children or, or whatever it might be? He knows every detail and everything that's going on in your life is happening for a reason. And you need to trust God and say, Lord, what are you teaching me? Lord, you're a faithful God. Lord, show me what you want me to understand. Again, this will result in both personal spiritual growth and an opportunity for God to be glorified. When you go through a trial, guess what? Not only are you being ministered to, not only is God teaching you something, but you become a testimony to everyone around you. It's been said without a test, there can be no testimony. It's real easy to be the Christian on the cruise ship at work. You know, when you got a bunch of money in the bank, and the kids are doing great, and your marriage is wonderful, and everybody's healthy, and everything's fine, and, you know, everybody's like, oh, yeah, well, yeah, yeah, all right, well, you're doing great right now. Now, when you find out that something's going sideways in your family, or somebody's diagnosed with a terminal illness, or you lose your job, all those people you've been witnessing to for years are watching you to see how you respond. And that's the opportunity for you to be a testimony. So not only do you grow personally in the midst of trials, but it's an opportunity for you to glorify God to those around you and to have that testimony before men. Faithful obedience will bring destruction upon the enemy and his plans, and that's what we see here. The faithless rebellion brings destruction on both our walk. So how do we respond? We respond in obedience or rebellion. So we see that they're starting off great. Here comes an old enemy, and instead of running away this time like their fathers and mothers had done 40 years earlier, this time they go fight him head on. And you know what? God brings victory. So these guys have arrived, right? They're doing great. Got to read the next few verses. We're going to find out. You know what? It just goes to show you, sometimes when we get a victory spiritually, we can even get puffed up in that, can't we? You, know, you lead someone to the Lord or something, and he starts saying, man, I'm pretty sweet and sharing my faith. You know what I mean? You start getting puffed up about how, you know, I really, man, I put that guy, I just wasted all his arguments, you know. And the reality is, you can't save anybody. Amen? You can't save anybody. It's the Holy Spirit that draws them. Now, you might be a tool that God uses, and we should be faithful to share our faith, but only God can draw people into, new, into that relationship, not us. And, you know, we can get puffed up in being, you know, spiritually self-righteous because we did such a wonderful thing. And so these guys did a great thing, but guess what? Not going to last long. We're going to look at the bronze serpent. This is such a great text. Boy, what a great picture of Jesus we're going to see here. Look at verse 4. God's grace and God's righteous judgment. Verse 4. Then they journeyed from Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. That's from last chapter. Remember they said they wouldn't go into Edom? And they're being faithful to their word. And the soul of the people became very discouraged on the way. So because they had to take the long way around, the people got discouraged. Now, we can't relate to that at all, right? We have no problem waiting. Patience isn't a problem for any of you guys, right? I mean, the reality is that we live in a microwave society, right? Popcorn's going to take two and a half minutes, man, right? I and mean, we get, you know, we, we just want our stuff now. How, I, I've heard people say that. You got this microwave dinner, costs takes four and a half minutes? Dude, you know, go turn the stove on and preheat it for half an hour and then put food in there and wait an hour and a half. I mean, we just want it now, right? And we get so impatient, And these guys, they're taking the long way around, and you know what they start doing? They're murmuring. Now, the place where they are right now is near the Dead Sea. And those who are in Israel with me, with us, that place, there's not a whole lot going on down there. It's dead for a reason. I mean, there's nothing, right? There's nothing now. I can't imagine then. And it's, guess what? It's the hottest place on the planet. It's a fact. It's 1,200 feet below sea level. It's warm, okay? So can you imagine if you found out you're taking the long way? Can you imagine the, the word coming back? Do you, dude, do you know we're taking the long way? Yeah. Did you know that we're... Dude, it's 147 degrees out here and we're taking the long way. <laughs> What's up with that? This, Moses, that guy's an idiot, man. I don't, I'm not with him. I think we should just... Right? And can you imagine the swell of people? Oh, well, that's exactly what happened. The whiners are taking over one more time. Where before they turned to the Lord when the Canaanites attacked, now they're having to walk a little farther than they wanted to, and boy, they're stirring it up. Again, why do I have to wait to be married? Why do I have to wait to have children? Why do I have to wait wait to be in full-time ministry? Why do I have to wait to see my family saved? Why do I have to wait to get past this illness? Everything is done in God's perfect timing, and we need to learn to trust Him. We should pray, but we should be patient. We should pray and say, Lord, in Your perfect timing, according to Your perfect will, When these guys start marching around, and and because of that, this great victory had just come, but quickly they become discouraged. And how quickly our circumstances can change us from faithfulness to faithlessness. Our circumstances can just turn us on a dime. We can be doing great with the Lord, our circumstances change, and we can be in a rut overnight. And that's going to happen when we have our eyes on our circumstances. Verse 5, and the people spoke against God and against Moses. I'm thinking that's not a good plan. Spoke against God. Hmm, let me think. Is that a good idea? Probably not a good idea. Now, this is the same God that they've seen uh, open the Red Sea and swallow up people. This is the same God that opened up the ground and, and, and swallowed up Dathan, Abiram, and, and uh, Korah. And their whole family. It's <laughs> all fell in. <laughs> I'm thinking, complaining against that God, I'd be you know, you know, looking around to make sure that I didn't get swallowed up. But they begin to complain against God. Why? Because of their circumstances. And because of their circumstances, because they're having to take the long way around, because it's hot outside, they begin to murmur against God. Again, He delivered them out of bondage. They'd seen Him bring the plagues upon the people. He dwelt in their midst. The pillar of fire was with them. You know what else was happening? What was happening every morning? They were getting up every morning and gathering up what? Manna. He's dropping, you know, Krispy Kreme donuts out of the sky for these guys. You know, I mean, it said there, it's tasty pastry. They're out there eating this stuff and it was healthy. Healthy Krispy Kreme donuts. They should be praising God, right? And they're going out there picking up this food and they're eating it and they're murmuring against God. But it's just not what I want. And you know what? We can fall into that trap. And so we see that they, they forgot God's promise. What was before them? Where were they headed? Land flowing with milk and Honey. Right? Grapes the size of bowling balls, right? I mean, they were headed to just this fertile land. And because they were impatient, they were like, ah! Guess what, guys? We're going to a land better than the land flowing with milk and honey. Amen? It's called heaven. And I can't wait to get there. And it's going to be awesome. And we can be faithful till we do. But, you know, we should always remember that that's where we're headed. And I'll tell you what, when things go sideways in the temporal world, it doesn't matter when you realize where you're headed. Amen? It's all good. It's okay. I'm going to heaven, right? People said when I we went to Israel, you know, Pastor Dave, there's some violence going on over there. Are you sure you want to do that? I said, you got to understand something. The worst thing the world can do to me is the best thing that could happen to me. You can't threaten me with heaven, right? They blow up the bus, where am I? I'm in glory. It's all good, right? I mean, so it's having that perspective. And sadly, these guys forgot where they were headed. They just remembered what was in front of them, and they started to murmur and complain about what was going on around them. Guess what? God's not going to be real thrilled with these guys because they began to murmur. You know what? I want to encourage you with something. In every circumstance, you could murmur if you want to. Do you know that? And there are people that seem to murmur in every circumstance. I've had guys I've worked with that, I mean, if the coffee was two degrees too cold, they'd be sideways. You know what I mean? Then there are other people that they could come in and somebody totaled their car and they'd find, some, well, it was, yeah, was old anyway. I was going to get a new one, you know. And there's some people that can find something good in everything. And you know, as Christians, shouldn't we be the most positive people on the planet? Because we know where we're headed, guys. We're going to heaven. Created the universe is my best friend. Nothing the world can do to me can harm me. It's okay. God's sovereign. I'm complaining against God when I complain about my circumstances because he's the one that allowed him to be that way. And they began to murmur and they began to complain And again, as Christians, the fact that we've been born again, the fact that we're going to heaven, the fact that God provides our every need, and instead these guys are, I'm sick of it, man, I'm tired of this. Look what it says. It says, they complained against Moses, why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? How many times has he heard this? I mean, again, praise God for Moses, because I'd be popping a cap in somebody right about I mean, I just, how many times has he said this? they always do that when we're back in egypt we had leeks and onions right and what about the beatings right what about the stripes what about making bricks what about working every single day what about that you're going to a land flowing with milk and honey and they're looking back that's selective memory we've talked about this repeatedly and we'll do that sometimes we'll look back at our old life with fondness you know what we need to leave that life behind Old things have passed away, all things have become new. I let go of that, I press onward to the upward calling in Christ Jesus. And so we see here, now, how does God respond to this? We'll get an idea how God feels about them murmuring against Him. You know, for there is no food, no water, and our soul loathes this worthless bread. Lord, I'm tired of your provision for me. I'm just tired of it. I'm tired of the way you provide for me. May we not fall into that trap, guys. May we be thankful for what we have and not compare ourselves to somebody else and wish we had more, right? Right? We don't need more. Do you know that you live in this country and you've got a place to lay down tonight that you're in the top 5% in wealth in this world? Do you know that? If you've got food to eat tomorrow? And we shouldn't be murmuring and complaining. We should be thanking and praising God for His provision. Amen? That's what Christians ought to do. That's what we ought to be doing. So how does God respond? So we see their, their situation. We see their sin. Now, let's look at their punishment. So the Lord sent fiery serpents among them. Hmm, I wonder how the Lord feels about people murmuring against Him and complaining about His provision. Fiery serpents. And look what it says here. And they bit the people, and many of the people of Israel died. Okay. Um, Complaining against God. Let's write down, this is the twelfth time we've done that. never worked out for us. I think we don't do that anymore, right? You think they would learn the lesson. But instead, what do they do? They start to murmur. Can you imagine fiery serpents falling out of... Can you imagine fiery serpents, whether they ran in or fell out? How were they got there? All of a sudden there's serpents and people are just start dropping all around them. And they're dying. Why? Because they murmured against God. In the past when Israel had sinned, the glory of the Lord would usually appear and the judgment of the Lord would follow. But this time there was no warning. The judgment came immediately. The Lord sent fiery serpents. They rejected God's gift of life that came down from heaven. And so God sent them suffering and death from the earth. They rejected His gift, so He gave them death. That's what's happening today. People are rejecting the gift, Jesus Christ, and they're choosing death. Nobody goes to hell that doesn't choose to go there. Pastor Dave said hell at church, you know, that's not a good thing. Most people say don't talk about that because that makes people nervous. You know what, it's better for you to hear about it than for you to go there, amen? And the reality is that hell is a real place and it's for people who reject the Lord over and over and over and say, I don't need you, I don't need you. And that's what's happening here. They're murmuring against God. He's taking them to a land flowing with milk and honey and instead they're murmuring against Him. The Bible says the wages of sin is what? Death. And that's what's happening here because of their sinfulness. Look at verse 7. Now this is the good news. Look at how they respond. Therefore, the people came to Moses and said, we have sinned. For we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that He may take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people. So how did they respond when God brought judgment upon their sin? What did they do? They repented. This is awesome. This is something you don't see Israel do very often as they're wandering in the wilderness. They murmur and complain and make excuses. They don't repent. But praise God here, confronted with their sin, they confess their sin. They say, you know what? We've blown it. And immediately, look what it says there. We've sinned by speaking against the Lord. That's responding to conviction. They knew what their sin was. You know what, guys? When you sin, don't you know that you're sinning? Amen? First of all, if you don't know that you're sinning, you're not saved because the Holy Spirit convicts you of your sin. Amen? When you sin, He's right there, you know, giving the Holy Spirit head slap, reminding you, because He loves you, that you've blown it. And it's because He loves you, and He wants to bring you back into right fellowship with Him. And so the conviction comes, and this time they respond with confession, which is a great thing. And praise God for the Holy Spirit. So the children of Israel sin. Moses usually would intercede for them, and he does here. He goes and intercedes on their behalf. Again, they're murmuring against him, and he prays for them anyway. This time they, they come to him and begged him to intercede, and praise God for that. If we confess our sin, God is faithful and just to forgive us. That's what the Bible says. Now look what happens. Then the Lord says to Moses, Make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole, and it shall be that everyone who is bitten, when he looks at it, shall live. What in the world is this all about? Now the first commandment is, thou shalt have no other gods before me, and the second commandment is, you shall not make any what? Graven images. Now, putting a serpent on a pole and holding it up and having people look at it, and when they looked at it, they were healed. Does that seem funky to you at all? Serpent is a picture of what? Sin or or Satan, right? So you're putting sin on a pole, made out of brass, holding it up in the air, and everybody who looks at it has been bit by a snake gets healed. Is this a cult, or what do we got going on here, right? Understand that God does everything for a reason. And you'll understand again clearly what this is a picture of here in a moment. So Moses made a bronze serpent and put it on a pole, and so it was, if the serpent had bitten anyone, when he looked at the bronze serpent, he lived. Now, bronze or brass in the Bible is always a picture of judgment, right? Remember all the Old Testament uh, tools that were used in judgment were always made of brass. So it's a picture of God's judgment, and then the serpent is a picture of sin, right? So the serpent is put up on this brass pole, lifted up into the air, and everybody who looks at it lives. So here's your choice. You get bit by a snake. The poll's right over here. You have a choice to make. You can turn and look at the pole, and you're, you're going to be healed. You're going to get it back off the ground. Hey, I'm all good, right? Or you're going to go, I'm not looking at it. I refuse. I'm just not going to do it. There's got to be another way. Got to be another path for me. I'm just, nobody tells me what I have, where uh, the poison takes over, and you're done, right? And so these people had a choice. You know what? How do you, what do you have to do to be lost? Nothing. nothing. Just do nothing, and you'll be lost. But if you want to be saved, you've got to look up. Amen? You must look up. Now, if you if you're still struggling with this, again, because salvation is very simple, I want to read John don't turn there. I'm just going to read it to you. John chapter 3. You guys all know the story, Nicodemus, right? Nicodemus, the Pharisee, most religious, one of the most religious men of the day, comes to Jesus by night and asks him what he must do to be saved, right? Nicodemus comes to Jesus by night, first episode of Nick at Night. You've heard me say that. All right. Then this man, like it says here, this man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews, came to Jesus by night, said, we know that you're a good teacher, come from God, because no one can do these signs unless God is with him. And Jesus answered and said to him, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus said, how can me, me, a man, be born when I'm old? Can I enter a second time into my mother's womb? And Jesus said, "Most surely I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is fle- born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I say to you, you must be born again. So for anybody to go to heaven, you must be born again. So there are only born-again Christians. Have you ever heard people say, well, I'm a Christian, but not one of the born-again kinds? I've had people tell me that. I'm like, well, um, that, that's the only kind there is. <laughs> then, you know. It's not going to work. Yeah, I, I spoke at chapel at a Christian school one time, and they got all over me for using the term born again. And a lady told me, well, we all know Billy Graham made up that term. I'm like, Billy, Billy Graham's in John chapter 3? How did he get, man, he's old. You know? Oh, no, Jesus said you must be born again, amen? And so you must be born again. But watch this. He's talking to this real religious man. The wind blows where it wishes. You hear the sound of it, but you cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. Everyone who is born of spirit is spirit. And Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? I'm a, you know, I'm a religious man. How come I've never heard of this? And Jesus said to him, are you a teacher of Israel and do not know these things? That's how I felt with that woman at the Christian school. Are you a teacher and you don't know this? That's what he said to him. Most assuredly, I say to you, we speak and we know and we testify what we have seen, and you do not receive our witness. That's the Godhead: God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Here it comes. I have told you earthly things; you do not believe. How will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? Now, one has ascended to heaven, but he was come down. No one has ascended to heaven, but he was come down as the Son of Man. Now, listen to this. And Moses, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Okay, so as the serpent was lifted up in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. So what does this mean, this serpent on a bronze pole? What is this a picture of? Let me tell you what it is. It says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, For He made Him who knew no sin to be sin for us. The serpent is a picture of sin. The brass is a picture of judgment. Being lifted up on the pole is a picture of the cross. Any who had been bitten by the serpent, infected by sin, if they looked up to the one who was the one who was taking their sin for them, then they would be healed. Jesus is that serpent is a picture of Christ who became sin for us. That's what it says in Second Corinthians chapter five. He who knew no sin became sin. Now Jesus did not become a sinner. Right, I'll make that really clear. He did not have to be born again. He's God, but He took all of our sin upon Himself. So when they were looking up at that pole, what they were looking up at was a picture of the cross. The word there for lifted up is a picture of the crucifixion. So that's what this bronze serpent is all about. Here we are, six hundred years before Jesus came to Earth, and what are we talking? Or fifteen hundred years? Excuse me. And what are we talking about? We're talking about the cross. What an awesome picture! Don't you love the Bible? It rocks. It's Jesus yet again in the Old Testament. People say, well, the Old Testament is just history. No, it's not. It's, it's His story, right? Amen? And it's all about Jesus if you just look at every single page. Serpent lifted up on a pole. All who looked up. So guess what? The same is true today. We've all been bit by the serpent of sin. And now we have a choice to make. Look up and be healed or reject it and die in our sin. Look up and be healed or reject it. Guys, what should we be telling everybody? Imagine those who were walking around, got bit by the snake, and they're they're falling out, and they look up at the pole, and they got healed. What do you think they might have been doing to their family that had been bitten by the snake? Look up! Shouldn't we be doing the same thing? Amen? Shouldn't we point people to the Savior? Guys, look up, and you'll be healed. And that's exactly what happened. You know, the sad part is, the end of the story is later in Hezekiah's day, they took this brass serpent, and they started worshiping it. Started making offerings to it. And Hezekiah went in and snapped it in pieces, <laughs> because guys, we don't worship a building, we don't worship even the thing that God used mightily, we worship him, amen, we don't worship anything else, we don't worship the building where we got saved we don't you know we don't worship our Bible because we've had it for twenty five years, although I wouldn't sell mine for a lot of money, but I do love my Bible, but you know we don't worship the Bible, amen, we worship the word the the, the Word of God, the living Word of God Jesus Christ, and so sadly because of their, their propensity toward it, they began to worship the very thing that was pointing to Christ. Let's move on now and look at the rejoicing that comes in a picture of our Christian walk. Now, you guys know me. I, when I read a text in the Bible and I don't, and I'm like, okay, what's this about? That just fires me up because I read this text. I read verses ten through twenty more times than I can count, and I'm like, okay, it tells us where they traveled, but there's got to be more to it because nothing's in the Bible by chance. Amen. And it gives us the geography telling us they went around by the Dead Sea and then they marched up this way and they marched around that way and they, they went by this city. And Now, would he name all the cities to tell us that? Just so we would know. Or, we, you know, he might have just said they went from here to here, right? But he names every city, so there must be a reason. So you know what I did at about 3 o'clock last night when I was studying in the morning? I went and looked up every name of these cities. And you're going to, it's pretty radical. I love how the Bible just, it's, it's, it rocks. So take a look at this. We're going to see a picture of our Christian walk. As we travel, again, with the children of Israel, we're going to see they're heading up north. They're camping in numerous spots. But as we look at each of the cities, we're going to see something real significant. Look at verse 10. Now, the children of Israel moved on and camped in Oboth. Now, Oboth is heading straight north. They're headed along near the Dead Sea. They're headed toward the land of promise. And the first place they come to is called Oboth. Now, Oboth, I looked it up in the original language. It has three meanings. Dragons, fathers, or desires? Okay? Now, dragon. Who's that? That'd be Satan. Okay? Fathers, the sins of our fathers, our desires. What kind of desires do we have? Good ones? Uh, no, we have wicked and vile and So what we do is the first stop on this walk to the land of promise is a place of wickedness and darkness, a picture of Satan, a picture of the desires of men, you know, the things that they've inherited from their fathers. And these guys' fathers were a train wreck because they all died in the wilderness in rebellion, right? Right. So that was the first spot. And let's keep moving on. This is interesting. And they journeyed from Oboth and camped at Ejabiram in the wilderness, which is east of Moab, toward the sunrise. I looked this up, and it means heaps of passers over. And I thought, okay. What's the Passover picture of? What's a picture of? That's weak. I know it's tight, you guys. T- what's a picture of? There you go. The, that's still, guys. All right, I was a youth pastor too long. I'm sorry. The Passover is a picture of the cross. Amen? Do you remember what happened the last plague in, in Egypt? Remember they had to take blood of a lamb? And they couldn't just take the blood of the lamb, but they had to take it and apply it to the doorpost, the four spots where Jesus would be, where he would bleed, the crown, his feet, and both sides. And those who had the blood of the lamb on the door, the angel of death would what? Pass over. And Passover was a picture of the crucifixion. Well, guess what? They're going along and they come first to a place of rebellion, a place of separation, a place of darkness, a place that identified with Satan. And then they go, the next city they come to is a place called Passers-Over. I, think that's by, I don't think that's by chance. This is maybe Pastor Day's opinion. I don't know. But they come to this place. And again, this is going to pass them over from a place of darkness to a place of, look at the next place. Look what it says in verse 12. From there, they went to the valley of Zared. Zared means place of luxury or blessing. Well, guess what? If you go from a place of darkness and then you, then you go to the place of the cross, where do you end up? The place of blessing, Amen. You go from a place of darkness to a place of blessing. Now look at the next verse, verse 13. From there they moved and camped on the other side of Arnon. Arnon means rejoicing and light. So if you go from a place of darkness, and you head through that place of darkness, and you come to the passers over, a picture of the cross, and now after you've passed over that place, you come to a place of of blessing and luxury, and then behind that is rejoicing and light. These are the cities they went to. Again, they're headed to the land of promise, but before they got to the land of promise, look at all the places they went to. This is the picture of our Christian walk as we're headed to heaven. Amen? The land of promise. We started in darkness, and then we came in head-on collision with the cross, and by His grace, we looked up, and we went from a place of darkness and a place of separation to a place of blessing and a place of rejoicing and a place of light. Man, I love the Bible. Read on. It says here, We're from Arnon, which is in the wilderness that extends from the border of the Amorites. For Arnon is the border of Moab, between Moab and the Amorites. Therefore, it was said in the book of wars. So they cross over Arnon, again this place of of sunlight, and they come to the book of wars. Now this is a book that no longer exists, but it's a book that listed the wars of Israel. Look at verse 14 and 15. Therefore, it said in the book of the wars of the Lord, Wahab and Sufa, the books of Arnon, the brooks of Arnon, the slope of the brooks that reaches to the dwelling of Ar and lies in the border of Moab. What we learn from this is the place they were traveling was not real comfortable and it wasn't real easy. So even after they had passed through and were now in a place of light, there were still some struggles that went on. What does that tell us? That even though we're born again Christians, it doesn't mean that our lives are always going to be a cruise ship to heaven. Now, again, when people tell me it's hard to be a Christian, I, I I, I tell you right now, I don't bear witness with that. I, it's, it's hard not to be a Christian, amen. It's hard to be dead in your trespasses and sins and not understand what life's all about. That's hard. Now, do we go through difficulties, Christians? Yeah. Do we have struggles sometimes? Absolutely. But we don't have to go through them alone, amen. And so we see here that this place was rocky that they're traveling through. Let's look at the next place. So they go to re- they get rejoicing, they get light. What's the next place they go to? From there, they went to. I hate to pronounce it beer because somebody might get the wrong impression. But they went to let's say Bay Air, okay? That sounds better. They went to Bayair, which is well, which is the well where the Lord said to Moses, "Gather the people together, and I will give them water." So interesting. They go from this place of darkness to this place of Passover, a picture of the cross. They then go to a place of of blessing and rejoicing and light, and now they come to a well. What is water a picture of in God's Word? The Holy Spirit. So what happens to us when we get saved? Our eyes are open up to the light, and who comes to live inside of us? The Holy Spirit. Again, you know, maybe, you know, I get excited when I see this stuff in the Bible. Because, I mean, it's in there for a reason, and it rocks. Now, water also can be a representation of the Word. What you see in the Bible is if they're drinking water, it's a picture of the Holy Spirit. If they're washing in the water, it's a picture of the Word. Ephesians 5, sanctify your home by the washing of the water of the Word of God, Right? And when you see them drinking water, it's typically a picture of the Holy Spirit. So we see here that they go to the well, the well of of water. And it says there, Then Israel sang a song, Spring up, O well, all you who sing to it. The well of leaders sank, dug by nations' nobles, by the lawgiver with their staves. So what happens when you get filled with the Holy Spirit? What kind of heart do you have? A heart to do what? To worship. Look at them worshiping. You know, when you're filled with the Spirit of the living God, you can't help but tell Him how awesome He is. Amen? You just can't help it. Lord, you're, you rock. Right? You're driving down the road. Sometimes I'm driving down the road, I'm listening to Air One, a song will come on, and I'm just I'm a train wreck just thinking about God's grace and His mercy and what an awesome God He is, and I'm worshiping Him, and I'm, you know, I'm wiping tears out. Because He's worthy to be worshiped and to be praised, isn't He? As so we see here as they're traveling to the land of promise, they become worshipers. And one of my prayers for our church is that we would have a greater passion to worship. Okay? I want to encourage you. Now, everything done decently in order. I'm not saying start rolling on the floor over here or anything like that. But what I'm saying is we should be able to come in here and just forget about everything else and sing to an audience of one. Amen? And just worship Him. Because He's worthy to be worshipped and to be praised. Headed on that journey in our Christian walk, they come to this place of worship, this place of lifting up His name. And look what it says. And from the wilderness they went to Matanah. Matanah means gift. In Ephesians 1, it says that the Holy Spirit is a down payment on heaven, that He seals us, He adopts us, He accepts us, He redeems us. And so God gives us a gift. And again, I believe that's a picture still of the Holy Spirit. And from Mattanah, they went to nah- Nahalel, from Nahalel to Bemoth. Nahalel means inheritance. Again, where are we headed? What do we have waiting for us? A heavenly inheritance. And I love the thing right after that. It refers to high places. And then lastly in verse 20, And from Bamoth and the valley that is in the country of Moab to the top of Pisgah, which looks down on the wasteland. And Pisgah means fortress. What is is our, our Heavenly Father making for us in heaven? Mansions. Amen? And look at this. I mean, you go from a place of... Darkness and separation where the, where the dragon dwells. You pass over a picture of the cross to a place of blessing and then rejoicing and then a place where, with living water, right? You're being ministered to by living water and being filled with the Holy Spirit and then a gift and then an inheritance and then after an inheritance, a fortress. Wow. Now maybe only I see that, but I just want to point that out to you because again, when you read the Word of God, it's always good to dig deeper because often there's more there than we think. Now we're coming along to walking in victory. So we see that just they've been walking toward the land of promise. Each city they stopped was a picture of, as relevant for us. As they're getting closer to that land of promise, they should have a greater passion and joy. And so too should be with us, you guys. The closer we get to heaven, the more we should have a greater joy in our lives. Amen? A greater desire to be there. Walking in victory. Look at verses 21 through 35. Then Israel sent messengers to Sihon, the king of the Amorites, saying, let us pass through your land. We will not turn aside to the fields or the vineyards. We will not drink water from your wells. We will go by the king's highway until we have passed through your territory. So no longer in darkness, having looked at the cross, their sins forgiven, new creations in Christ, picture of us, walking in the Holy Spirit. Now they're equipped for battle. You know, the Bible tells us that without Him we can do what? Nothing. And so when we try to do things in the flesh, it's going to come to nothing. But if we truly are, seeking after God, filled with the Holy Spirit, walking with Him, then the battle belongs to the Lord, not to us. Amen? And greater is He that is in me than he that is in the world. And now these guys are ready to go to battle. Now the word their Amorite, means bitterness or rebellion. So what do they come head on to? Right after you know, this wonderful thing, they come head on to bitterness and rebellion. You know, and as Christians, we can fall into those traps of becoming bitter and becoming rebellious. As born again Christians again will face those same enemies. In Christ walking in His Spirit, we have victory over them. With the Spirit of the living God living inside of us. Israel made a, a simple dip- diplomatic request. They go to Him and say, we want to just pass through your land. We won't touch anything. Saying this to Sihon, the king of the Amorites. Now the Amorites are descendants of Ham and Canaan. Okay? These guys are enemies of Israel. They're wicked and perverse. But they still start off diplomatically and come to him and say, hey, we just want to pass through your land. Now look at the response of these evil people. But Sihon would not allow Israel to pass through his territory. So Sihon gathered all his people together and went out against Israel in the wilderness and came to Jahaz and fought against Israel. So the king of the Amorites would not heed Israel's request and they attacked. Now let me ask you a question. Did God allow them to attack? What's the answer? Yes, he did. When you ask the question, did God allow, the answer is always yes, because if it happened, then God allowed it. Amen? So God allowed it to happen. So God allowed them to be attacked. What would this be? This is a trial. Amen? This is a difficulty in life, and they can grow through this, or they can rebel in the midst of it. We grow spiritually through trials. Verse 24. Then Israel defeated them with the edge of the what? Sword. So when the battle came and difficulty came and rebellion came against them, right, that's in a sense, rebellion or bitterness, and they're confronted with that, how do they respond to defeat it? How do we respond when temptation comes in our walk? How did Jesus respond when he was tempted in the wilderness? What did he respond? What came out of his mouth when he spoke to Satan? What came out? The Word of God. He is the Word of God, so anything he speaks would have been the Word, but he used the Word to speak to Satan, Right? Why? An example to us. When temptation comes, where do we go? To the Word. When trials come, where should we go? To the Word. And what happens when they take the Word against this trial, this city of of bitterness and rebellion? Look what happens. It says, And they defeated them, and they took the possessions of His land from Arnon to Jadok, as far as the people from Ammon, from the border of the people of Ammon, was fortified. What happens is, is they win the battle and they end up wiping out the enemy completely. Why? Because they went to the word. The Bible says there's only one offensive weapon that we have when you put on the whole armor of God, right? Ephesians 6, you put the armor of God on, what is the one piece of offensive, what's the one offensive weapon you have? The sword, which is this right here. And that's why I say, read the book, don't wait for the movie all the time, right? I mean, we need to open this thing up because this is the, the, the offensive weapon that we have to be able to go out and combat temptation and struggles and trials. That's why Jesus was tempted in the wilderness for 40 days. First, to, to prove that he's God and he can overcome all temptation, but also to be an example for us on how we might overcome temptation. Next time you're tempted, and then I'm going to get in someone's gig right here. God, just forgive me, I love you, okay? You don't need 12 steps. You need one, it's right here. Amen? Jesus Christ, you're a new creation in Him. You don't need to take 12 little babies. You can just turn to Him right now and look to the, look to Him. And He will forgive you. And He will make you a new creation. And He will help you overcome that struggle. But turn to the Word. It's the living, breathing Word of God that will transform your life. How can you and I walk with victory over bitterness, rebellion, and temptation? By being people of the Word. And look what happens here. Verse 26. For Heshbon was the city of Sidon, the king of the Amorites, who had fought against the former king of Moab and taken all his land from his hand as far as Arnon. So guess what happened? All of his land got wiped out. Israel took all of it. Why? Because they walked in obedience. When we're obedient, God is glorified and we get blessed. When we're disobedient, God is mocked and we have the consequences to face. When we're obedient, God's glorified. When we walk in holiness before Him, people look and say, wow, your God's pretty awesome. Man, boy, you have joy. That blows me away. If I were where you are, I wouldn't have joy. What's different about you? It's Jesus, right? When we're obedient, God is glorified, and we get blessed. And they were obedient, and they were blessed. Now look at this. Therefore, those who speak in Proverbs say, Come to Heshbon, let it be built. Let the city of Sihon be repaired. For the fire went out from Heshbon, a flame from the city of Sihon. It consumed Ar of Moab and the lords of the heights of Arnon. Woe to you, Moab! You have perished, O people of Chish- Chishmash. He has given his sons as fugitives, his daughters into captivity, to Sihon, the king of the Amorites. Now this quote here, is, it seems a little odd, but what this is, this is a war song that the Amorites sang when they beat the Moabites. When they defeated the Moabites, they went around singing the song about how great their God was and how their God had killed the God of, of the uh, Moabites. The Cheshmash here, right? They're saying, that's our God and we defeated Him. Now watch this, they start singing the song, the Israelites have defeated their God. And they're saying, you know, you're singing a song about your God, but your God isn't God. Your God is not a God, That your God doesn't exist. Jehovah smoked your God, right? He is the true and living God. And they began to sing a song about the truth. But look it says here, But we have shot at them. Heshbon has perished as far as Dibon. They have laid waste as far as Nophah, which reaches to... Medida. What are they doing? They're singing a song saying this God that you sang to doesn't exist. Our God is an awesome God. And you know what? When God does great and awesome things in our lives, we should be rejoicing. Amen? You know what blesses me? I don't hear enough of it. Every once in a while I'll be in the grocery store or something I'll hear someone singing a praise song in the grocery store. That just rocks. I love that. I go find that person. Dude, you rock, man. You're blessing me, right? And too often as Christians, we don't want to like rejoice too loud because people might think we're we're tra- you know, what's up with you, man? Get that guy guy's jacket, right? You know, you know what fanatic means, right? A fanatic, right? You can be a fanatic for the 49ers. That's you paint your face red and gold. Ah, and, oh, right? And, oh, that's cool. Right on, right? But if you're a fanatic for Jesus Christ, something's wrong. You know what? We ought to be fanatics for Jesus Christ. Amen? Let people call me a Jesus freak. That's okay. I'd, be identi- I'd rather be identified with Jesus than the Niners any day of the week. How about you? Amen? <laughs> They lose. Our God never loses anything. He's faithful, right? He wins every season. He's God. I read the end of the book. He wins. That's it. Super Bowl every year. He's God. All right. We're almost done. This prideful song of victory now was a song of defeat for these guys. They went around in their pride and sang about how great their God was. And you know what? They were brought to the end of themselves. You put your faith in anything other than Jesus Christ, what you think is victory will soon be defeat. Thus Israel dwelt in the land of the Amorites, and Moses sent to spy out Jazer. And they took its villages and drove out the Amorites who were there. So again, they continued to just consume the land. But it all started because they obeyed God. It all started because they trusted the Lord. It all started because when the trial came, they didn't back down. They said, Lord, you're going to take me through this for a reason. Teach me what you want to teach me. Now lastly, as we look at walking in victory, not only do we see rebellion, Amorites means rebellion or bitterness, but we also see the thing that they feared the most. Look at this, and I love this. And they turned and went up the way of Bashan. So Og, king of Bashan, went out against them, and he and all his people to battle at Edri. Now, this is interesting. Og, this guy is the king of Bashan, but he also was the last remaining member of what is called the, the Rephium. Now, the Raphium were giants. And just to tell you a little bit about this guy, how big was he? He was so big that he was buried in a, sarc- a sarcophagus that was 13 and a half feet long and 6 feet wide. How big you got to be for that to be your coffin? You're a big dude, right? And Og was this big dude. And so Og came out to battle against Israel. Now, what were they afraid of when they wouldn't go into the land? Giants. Now, Og is like the big, main Bubba giant. The thing they're most afraid of comes marching down at them. Now, at this point, they could have just said, Run away, right? Keep running, right? Just bolted out of the bill, you know? But they didn't do that because because of the trials they have been through. What have they learned? That God is an awesome God and God can overcome any enemy. Again, if you don't go through trials, you'll never learn to truly have greater faith. You know, if you've never been healed of sickness, it's hard for you to believe that God can heal. Amen? But you've got to get sick to be healed. Amen? And so sometimes it's, we go through trials so that we might, our faith might grow. And because they have defeated the Amorites because they have defeated the canaanites now when augen comes down from bashan instead of them melting they say you know what our god's greater than this our god can win this he's done it before he's god this is a puny guy coming against the creator of the universe why did david slay goliath when everybody else wimped out because david saw a puny man against almighty god 11 foot 750 is nothing compared to the creator of the universe right who holds the universe in the span of his hand take 11 foot 750 go like, like that right and so he didn't see it that way, and he had faith in God. And look what happens. And then the Lord said to Moses, Do not fear him, for I have delivered him into your hand, with all his people and all his land. You shall do to him as you did to Sihon, the king of the Amorites, who dwelt in Heshbon. So what does he say to him? Remember that last battle you were in? It's going to happen again. You guys just obey me. It's a done deal. I've given it. Now what does it say here in this text? I have delivered him. It doesn't say I will deliver him, right? I have already, right? Because with God, it's done. It's done. And they're going to win the battle. Not I will, I already have. Last verse. So the people defeated him, his sons and all his people, till there was no survivor left with him, and they took the possessions of his land. You know what's interesting about this guy? He was the king of 60 cities. And when they killed him, guess what Israel inherited? 60 cities. Why? Because they trusted God. You know, God, you're greater than this guy. Though there be giants in the land, I will not be afraid. He brought us out to take us to the promised land, amen? Whatever the giants are that you're facing right now, whatever those difficulties are, those things that seem so overwhelming, remember that your God is greater than that, amen? And that trial you're going through is something you can either grow through or you can flee from. So in review, victorious Christian living begins by looking to the cross, right? They were bit by the serpent. Where does it start? You've got to look up. You're not going to have a victorious walk with God if you don't first get saved. If you're a sinner, you must see your need for a Savior. You must be convicted. Without conviction, there can be no conversion. So that's where it starts. Then once that's happened, after you look to the cross, how do we win the battle? Well, what have we seen so far? They had a sword in their hand, which is what? Word of God. The Spirit ministered to their hearts. The Spirit told them, I have delivered Him. They were worshipers, right? Right? They sang songs from their heart as they walked around. Not just knowing about the cross, knowing about the Word, knowing about the Spirit, knowing about worship, but they actively applied it to their lives. Guys, it can't just be us knowing about Jesus. We must know Him intimately. It can't just be us knowing that we're supposed to worship. We need to be people who worship. By the way, when you get to heaven, guess what you're going to be doing? You're going to be worshiping. You're not going to read your Bible in heaven because Jesus is going to be there, amen? You're not going to be witnessing in heaven because everybody there is already saved. Right? But we will be worshiping. You want to get a taste of heaven? Worship. Worship. So praise God. We must, again, pursue it and remember, again, that the battle belongs to the Lord. Let Him lead us. Let us follow Him closely. And remember that that greater is He that is in me than he that is in the world. There's no giant too big for our God. He put Him there for a reason. May we learn from it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You and we praise You again. And Lord, I want to thank You for the trials that people in this room are going through right now. And Lord, I pray that in the midst of these trials, there will be an opportunity for them to grow spiritually. I pray, Lord, for the trials that are coming, that when they come, we'll recognize them as opportunities for us to grow. Opportunities for us, Lord, to keep our eyes on You. May we not be rebellious. May we not be embittered. May we not murmur when the trials come. Lord, You're just as sovereign when I am diagnosed with cancer, as you are if I won the lottery. Lord, you're always in control. I can trust you no matter what. Help us, Lord, to be men and women of faith. We, we love you. We praise you. We thank you that he who knew no sin became sin for us. And we thank you, Lord, that by looking up, we too can be saved and our sin is washed away. We thank you and we praise you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. amen. Let's stand and close a worship song.